Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. In today's podcast, we'll be learning about the ancient city of Cahokia. John Kelly, senior lecturer in archaeology at Washington University in St. Louis, has been studying Mississippian culture and the Cahokia site in particular since the late 1960s. For today's episode, Kelly will bring Cahokia to life. He'll help us understand why archaeologists consider Cahokia a city and explain how Cahokia's structure intertwined with the spirituality and cosmology of its inhabitants. But first, a little background information. What is now the Cahokia Mound State Historic Site is located in Collinsville, Illinois, about 10 miles from downtown St. Louis. Today, the site is most well known for its mounds, especially Monk's Mound, which, at nearly 100 feet tall, is the largest earthen structure north of Mexico. At the peak of Cahokia's civilization, starting around 1050 CE, the city took up nearly six square miles. More than 10,000 people lived there, perhaps as many as 15 or 20,000. By 1400 CE, the site was abandoned, but the fact that groups came together and created what is now considered an urban environment is part of what makes Mississippian culture so important to study. That's what's really important about what we as archaeologists call Mississippian, which are the ancestors of native peoples today, is that we've seen the very beginnings of urbanism taking place. And we tried to get to the very beginnings of urbanism in other parts of the world. And it's very difficult because you've had uh, cities in place for thousands of years. Archaeologists have been referring to Cahokia as a city since the 1960s and early 70s. But the decision of whether or not to use that term has been debated within the field. Kelly is part of the discussion. We've got an article, a colleague of mine, uh, Professor James Brown at Northwestern, are putting out an article discussing the basis for calling Cahokia City. And for me personally, it's taken a long time to feel comfortable talking about cities in terms of uh, American Indian societies in the eastern woodlands. But it's one of those thresholds in terms of humanity that happens across the globe in, in various places independently from one another. If urbanism developed independently around the globe, what's potentially problematic about using the word city to describe ancient sites like Cahokia? Kelly explained that urbanism is primarily a Western concept, and certain Western definitions of urbanism don't necessarily apply to places like Cahokia. What makes Cahokia a city to a large extent is its organization. And it has not as much to do as it does in the old world of looking at the differentiation of economic functions. I think the, the cosmology is really what is the key to Cahokia, and that the economy is embedded in the ritual. Archaeologists also faced a practical problem. You know, what else would we call it? We can't really call it a village. So knowing all this, what exactly makes Cahokia a city? In part, its size and population, but as Kelly already briefly mentioned, the organization of Cahokia is even more important to understanding its urban status. To understand Cahokia's structure, many years ago, Kelly turned to the work of Francis LaFleche. Francis LaFleche uh, was an American Indian 
ethnographer at the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century. And basically what he said was their communities were a reflection of the cosmos. Their society was broken down in the clans, and each of these clans had a separate knowledge of the cosmos in terms of what was operating uh, in their own eyes. And so uh, taking these basic principles that they had began to look at Cahokia as really reflecting the way in which the cosmos was structured. From a modern perspective, it's a little hard to understand how a city can be organized to reflect the cosmos. In Cahokia, part of this organization was physical, especially in the city's epicenter, which had the huge monk's mound at its center. This epicenter is what makes Cahokia unique as a city. To understand the cosmology of Cahokia's epicenter, first we need to learn about the mounds themselves. The mounds are the most visible part of the cultural landscape that we can see today. The notion of mounds, it goes back fairly early in the eastern woodlands, particularly to the south. And by the time we get to Cahokia, the mounds not only are used to cover the dead, but eventually they're used as platforms on which they can build buildings. Oftentimes what we're beginning to see, and this is something we need to pursue, is that before the mound is built, there is a special building there. You know, whether it's for a religious purpose, uh, there is something there. It is removed for whatever reasons, and earth is brought in and it's buried. So in a sense, uh, this idea of burial, uh, even though it's not involving individuals, uh, it is involving the burial of something that personifies a particular group, a clan, or a particular, uh, what we would call a sodality, a special non-clan group. And so what happens, and this is part of their cosmology, another building appears, so it's reborn. And so this notion of death, burial, and then rebirth is repeated. Archaeologists have found examples of this architectural death and rebirth within Cahokia. Many of the mounds, like Monk's Mound, they had a very large building on the top. And even before the site was abandoned, about halfway through its history, uh, that building is removed and then there is a basically a meter of earth put on top and it's buried. It's sealed off. So mounds have multiple meanings. I guess symbolically it encompasses uh, the dead, either whether it's a building that personifies a group or whether it's an individual or individuals themselves. In addition to mounds, Cahokia's epicenter featured huge plazas. The other elements in this epicenter are four plazas that acknowledge the four sacred directions, which is a fundamental principle among American Indian societies. The Grand Plaza, which is the largest one just south of Monk's Mound, is 400 meters either direction. So you think of a 400-meter race. I mean, you're looking at a big area, and it's been created. They didn't just go out there and just put a bunch of mounds to delineate this space. They did a lot of landscape modification in order to create this architecture that's associated with it. We've heard about the architecture and the symbolism of the plazas, but what do archaeologists know about how the plazas were actually used? The plazas are set aside probably for the community as a whole. They're public spaces where important ceremonies take place. The, the uh, sacred fire may mark the center of that area uh, with four logs denoting that. And then around that sacred fire within the plaza are a series of arbors in which different clans would sit. And then there were prescriptions along gender lines in terms of where women would be in the procession and where men would be and things like this. 
But ceremonies weren't the only activity in the plazas. Yeah, we have a, a colleagues from the University of Bologna in Italy who are working with us on one of the plazas, and we're looking at the architecture, looking for material evidence that will tell us what are the activities going on. I mean, certainly one of the big things that happens historically in these plazas is feasting, is food. In fact, we even see the feasting there at Cahokia. My wife, who does, does animal bones for her dissertation, uh, she recognized that feasting was going on based on the distribution of the deer elements that were there and the unusual composition of the fall or an animal assemblage. And it was right on the edge of a plaza. The, the meat was still on the bone. It was deposited so rapidly that the, uh, it didn't have time to decompose. In case you were wondering where the residents of Cahokia actually lived, that was just outside the epicenter. And as you went further out, there was something that modern-day city dwellers would recognize. Suburbs. Within 10 kilometers or 6 miles of Cahokia, there was another major town. So we're talking about several thousand people there. We can follow US 40, which was a national road, and that probably was along the original trail that connected these communities. Uh, in fact, we take students and we walk from that community to Cahokia, so the students have a sense of what it was like. But what was it like for the people of Cahokia? So far, we've talked mostly about the structure of Cahokia as a place. But of course, human structure, leadership, government, are also vital aspects of urban life. I mean, oftentimes we look at these places and we think there's a, there's a chief that's in charge. And we know historically that the chiefs, even for some of the villages, but also for the communities, they were hereditary positions within one of the clans. But they don't have political power the way we see it. They tended to mediate uh, the problems that existed within the community. For example, if someone did something bad, even from outside the, of the community, they could take refuge in the chief's house. And as you may have guessed from the emphasis on cosmology in Cahokia's buildings and layout, priests also played an important leadership role in the community. A lot of the power probably resided in the priests. They had the tribal priests, which were limited in number, and they dealt with what they would call the invisible world, the things that we can't, they couldn't see, uh, whereas the, the clan priests dealt with the visible world uh, and with those kinds of rituals or, or whatever that were going on. And so it's not a single individual dictating what's going to go on. One of the amazing things about Cahokia is despite how much archaeologists like Kelly have learned, there's still so much that's unknown. Uh, we still have a lot to learn about it. The amount of excavation that has been done there at Cahokia is only about a percent of the total site areas. But uncovering even that one percent has provided archaeologists a window to the origins of urbanism and the structure of an ancient city. Many thanks to John Kelly for contributing to Hold That Thought. You can find a link to his faculty page, as well as the website for Cahokia Mound State Historic Site, on our website. We're at thought.artsci.wustl.edu. That's thought.artsci.wustl.edu. Thanks for listening.